Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 104 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Greg McEwen about building a multi-million dollar mass tort practice. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists, and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is sponsored by Spotlight Branding. Learn how they use the internet to make all of your law firm marketing and business development more profitable by visiting spotlightbranding.com slash lawyerist. Today's podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, which is ridiculously easy to use and packed with powerful features. Try it now at freshbooks.com slash lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. So Sam, today's episode is a bit different from our normal interviews, though Greg McEwen knows a lot about software and online marketing and SEO and all of those things. This interview is not about technology or innovation like most of our episodes are. Greg has built a multi-million dollar plaintiff's firm over decades and walks us through exactly how he's done that. He isn't optimizing new fancy productivity tools or practice management software to grow his firm. He's placing big bets on high-risk cases and then working them like mad to win. We've both known Greg for a couple of years, and he's a soft-spoken, humble guy, but he's built an incredibly successful firm, air quotes, the old-fashioned way. And so this episode might feel a little less glitzy than some of our previous ones about robot lawyers and virtual teams, but it's full of really great substance on how to build a massive practice. So that said, here is my conversation with Greg. Hi, I'm Greg McEwen from Inver Grove Heights, Minnesota, a lawyer, and that's a suburb of Minneapolis-St. Paul metropolitan area. <laughs> Hi, Greg. Uh, welcome to the Lawyers Podcast. Thanks for being with us. Let's start out by just telling me a little bit more about your firm. Uh, I know that you have a personal injury practice, but uh, but tell us uh, so that our listeners can benefit too. Um, what does your firm actually look like? What size is it? What kind of cases do you handle? That sort of thing. Well, we have a very unique niche practice. We do injury work, but primarily large products liability cases. Mm -hmm. I have three lawyers here, seven paralegal staff, and then I also have a full-time CFO, financial person. So it's about 11 people total. I have three paralegals related to me, and Mm. then the other two lawyers have two paralegals apiece. So, when you say big products liability cases, can you give me an example of one that you've handled? Sure. Um, I do a lot of cases related to hydrocarbons, which would be gas, propane gas, anhydrous ammonia, anything related to fueling homes or fueling torches and stuff. So, for the last 20 years, I've done burn injury cases all over the United States. Gotcha. Now I'm curious too, because you said you have three paralegals assigned to you. What is What are they doing? How do you keep three people busy like that? Well, I have one who is more senior. She's got 20 years experience and has worked for 
two of the larger firms in the Twin Cities and has heavy litigation background. And she keeps the cases on scheduling orders, helps answering discovery, coordinates with defense counsel when we have depositions. And she does a lot of preliminary work for me, so I don't have to take a lot of mm-hmm. calls. She also does a lot of client contact and client control. And so what does that free you up to do? What, do you, what do you end up spending your days doing? Primarily, I'll do depositions, work with experts. I also will, um, you know, I take a lot of potential client calls sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then work with doctors, getting a prognosis of the client, life care planners. So I'd say most of my time spent with the experts. Are these class action cases or are you talking with, uh, are these individual plaintiff cases? Individual plaintiff cases. Okay. I also do um, mass tort cases, hmm. which is a specialty that's primarily defective pharmaceutical drugs and devices. And those cases are, are much more administrative in that the cases are filed within a multi-district litigation, what's called an MDL. Yeah. And unless you're on the leadership for the MDL, there isn't any direct litigation. So that would take much less time, and those are paralegal-driven in in a large way. Gotcha. So I do what I would call one-off cases, which is primarily products liability, Mm -hmm. and we'll also do some large trucking cases, and then also we do MDL pharmaceutical work. So give me an idea. When did you start your firm? Uh, 1997. As you look back over it, how long did it take for it to really get some traction and become, uh, you know, I mean, when when did it become a a million or a half a million dollar firm as opposed to just a quick startup? Was it right out of the box or did it take gradual time to build up to that level of success? Surprisingly for me, it was it was quick in that I got into a couple of pharmaceutical cases that mm-hmm. were good cases, moved fairly quickly. I also, when I first started this work, I got everything ready to be tried and I tried a number of cases very early in my career to the verdict. And so I had, you know, some good results early on. And so for me, it ended up being a quick start. We had a uh, eight-figure recovery five years into my practice. So that was a a good start for the practice. So, I mean, how how does that, how do you do that? And and I, (laughs) for you, maybe, maybe it's a that seems like a silly question, but I, I know so many lawyers who are struggling to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. So, like, h- how do you get that kind of a hot start where um, less than a decade in, you you've had one case that is that has hit over a million dollars? Well, I think what you have to do is take the case and take, let's say, an individual um, products case. Mm-hmm. First off, you have to be willing to take a lot of risks. So, what do I mean by that? I had a case early on in my career that I think it was maybe two years into me being a lawyer where it ended up going much longer than I anticipated. And so I had to get more money for expenses and contingency fee lawyers have to front the expense of the case. And I already had about $50,000 into the case. And I needed more money because we were running out of money. And uh, so I took a second mortgage on the house. Hmm. And that's because you believed in the case. Yep. 
but I, I knew I knew that if we lost that thing, I'd be getting a new house. <laughs> I'd be moving out of the house I was in. Yeah. So you've got to be willing to take those risks. And I used to budget, of course, a little more expensive now, but early 2000s, I would budget about $100,000 for every explosion case, just for expenses. Hmm. So if you get a contingency fee, you have to make a decision, you know, am I going to reinvest in the business and grow the business? Or am I going to take that two, $300,000 fee and, and get a new house or a lake home or something? And I imagine it, in the beginning, you're, you're reinvesting everything you bring in pretty much into the business. Everything. Yeah. yeah. So I, how do you recognize when, when a client, when, when you first talk to a client, like how, how do you decide this client is worth going to the mat for and worth investing $100,000 for? And how do you talk to another client and go, you know, no, it, it's not, it's not you. And how do you value those cases? Uh, you know, one of the things that I always struggled with um, in my own contingent fee case was, you know, I, I don't know, maybe if I push this thing forever, I can get a ton of money or maybe it really is only worth a few thousand dollars uh, that they're willing mm-hmm. to offer me. I mean, how do you, how do you make that decision that this client is worth making a huge bet on and they're going to pay in the end? Well, a couple of things. One is you have to be very selective in case selection. So you have to know the area. That's why I don't do a lot of crassworthiness anymore. I used to do more of that, mm-hmm. defective autos and trucks. But it's gotten much harder because the the vehicles are much more sophisticated. I think it's safer than it used to be. And the companies fight hard because that's the heart of their business. But when you're in a business, a couple of things to answer your question. One is, if you're in a area of litigation where somebody, let's say, sells a flammable liquid, mm-hmm. like they know there's going to be litigation and claims. And so you're suing an industry that would not be surprised that they have claims because that's part of their business model whenever they have sell a product that's very flammable and dangerous. They know, you know, ultimately something may happen. So you have to have an industry, number one, that's not surprised that they have some litigation exposure. So, so I guess what you're saying that for that piece of it, um, getting into, you know, minor auto accident cases is the wrong business. There aren't, you can't make big enough bets to pay off in that in there. Correct. Yeah. Okay. The other is that you have to have a defendant that can afford to pay a large judgment or settlement and understands the value of the case. So if you're asking for, a, if your demand's $25 million, they're not going to say, well, that's just outrageous. They're going to understand that historically they've been hit with verdicts or have resolved cases, you know, between, between 10 and $20 million. And they've done that, you know, every year for a number of years. They're not surprised when you come with a number. Whereas if you're in another, another industry, you know, they'd be very surprised at that kind of a number. One of the lawyers I used to work with said that one of the reasons to make big demands is so that you can um, get your demand on the desk of somebody who writes bigger checks, uh, which it sounds like is kind of what you're talking about. Um, you know, he was, he was talking about uh, FDCPA cases where, 
Uh, a lot of them get settled for small potatoes, but if you keep insisting on big numbers, they keep passing it up the skyscraper until it gets on somebody's desk who doesn't write small checks. And then that's where you want to settle it is with that person instead of with the person sitting down in the basement. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think you've got to get to the excess layer. Mm-hmm. So we usually have an underlying first layer, which is a million or two. And then you'll have a layer above that, which will be considerably more. You need to get into that excess layer or you've got, you know, issues that are continually arising. And if you have a big enough case, you know, the, the usually the underlying layer is just tendered to the excess carrier. Mm-hmm. You have to know a lot about insurance and you have to have a defendant that's got a lot of insurance. Right. Because you can have a very big case liability-wise and if you've only got a million dollars worth of insurance, you know, that's all you're going to get. And that, that wouldn't be near enough. I have a case in the office now, my partner and I, it's a truck case. He's handling it where our life care plan's $24 million. Mm-hmm. But the insurance is much, much less than that. So that's a problem for us because we've got somebody that needs lifetime care but they're vastly underinsured. So the question becomes, you know, is there any value in the company itself? Right. So there's, um, hmm. it's a very unique area in that you got to find when you're evaluating the case, you got to figure out, does that defendant have enough money to, to make this worth your while? So we're going to take about three minutes to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I'd like to ask you about the, the value that you think reputation plays in your ability to get settlements. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted. So when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. You're investing time and money to grow your law firm, but what if you could make all of your marketing and business development work better? Spotlight Branding works exclusively with solo and small law firms. They create the internet foundation for their clients, which increases the return on their marketing investment by 2x, 5x, or more. Whether you develop business primarily through networking and referrals, by running ads on the radio or on the internet, or whatever the case may be, Spotlight Branding can create an internet presence for your law firm, which will make all of your marketing work better. Spotlight Branding services include law firm website design, email newsletter management, social media marketing, and more all designed to help your law practice generate a higher return on the time and the money that you're investing into your marketing. Visit spotlightbranding.com slash lawyerist to see how they can help your firm stand out from the crowd and make 2017 your most profitable year ever. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three client projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to Modern Life as a Small Firm Lawyer. 
The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. Create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, and get paid up to four days faster. See when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBook is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. And we're back. And Greg, this is uh, sort of a theme that uh, I keep coming back to, I think. And part of it is because, you know, when I started practicing, I thought, you know, I'm smart as hell and I, I can write and I can argue. And all, all you need to do is put me in a courtroom and I'm going to win cases. And I very quickly realized that there's more to it than that. Uh, senior lawyers are just going to laugh you out of court no matter how good you are in the beginning. And so, I'm, I'm wondering how much... Uh, you, how much value you think there is in you being you and uh, the you that you've built up over time gradually and how much it's just a matter of showing up, being smart and being willing to take a huge risk on a case that you believe in. Um, what, what's the balance there? Do you, do you get to do more now than you did when you started because you are who you are today rather than then? Yes, I think so. I, just to kind of give an idea which le- reflects that, which I touched on before the break, is that if I'm going to be investing $200,000 into an explosion case and the potential recovery on fees for that case is, if everything goes right, $400,000, let's say, mm-hmm. that's a terrible return on your investment. Yeah. Because you're going to spend three years working hard and it's going to be a real fist fight. I always tell people, and when they say I'd like to do products liability, is that the MVA claims, you know, they these insurance companies have claims departments, and there's a whole apparatus to settling auto cases. Yeah. The people we sue don't have claims departments. Right. They're not, you know, they are used to litigation, but they're not set up to just mill these cases through. Each one gets a lot of individual attention from the company and they're willing to defend them all. So if you're going to invest 200,000 in three years of your work time into a case and the most you can get out of that defendant is 400,000, that's just a two to one return and it's a terrible return. If you had cases like that, you wouldn't have an office very long. (laughs) So you have to get a much larger return on your investment than that. And that's what you have to look at first. And then as far as I think reputation or whatever you asked about is there's two things with that. Number one is you've got to be willing to try cases and try them. A lot of people say, well, I'm willing to try this thing, but they don't try the case. Mm -hmm. And that reputation gets around quickly because there's only a half a dozen defense firms that defend these across the country. So you just have to try the cases. And I would say the first six years I was a lawyer, I tried, I don't have a right uh, spot on, but at least 15 cases to the verdict. I was trying three cases at at least a year. That's how you get to the point where you can 
call people up and say, this is what we need to resolve this case because they're going to tell the insurance that you know they're willing to try it and they're going to try it. It's not a bluff. They're going to try this case. So if, let's say, a, a retailer has a $5 million policy and they know that we're willing to try that case and that potential verdict is going to be over $5 million, mm-hmm. well, then this, the pressure changes because all of a sudden that defense firm's got a handicap. You know, is he going to get a bigger verdict than a settlement? Right. Because if I get a... And I had this happen one time in Iowa, got a $9.6 million verdict on a on a policy that didn't cover that. The defendants all sued their lawyer for, one defendant in particular sued their law firm because they could have settled that case within the policy limits and they refused to. Hmm. So the pressure is not just on me as far as you know, how much is this case worth and when's a good time to try it or settle it? So you have to you have to not just try cases, you have to win them, obviously. You have to win them, that's right. Yeah. And uh, But even if you lose, and I've lost before too, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a 100% negative. Obviously, you'd like to win them all. Mm-hmm. But when you try a, a hard case and lose it, that goes to their mind, too, that, you know, they're willing to try a case that looks very, very tough liability-wise. Usually what the hard cases are when somebody has done something that most people wouldn't do and then they injure themselves. Mm-hmm. The best cases are when people don't have any um, liability on themselves. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to share with you today, Sam, is that I would encourage young lawyers, if they want to get into high-stakes litigation, to just conquer their own fears and try the case to the verdict. Don't try to to get that case in a settlement mode. You know, how much will they settle for? Because I hear from a lot of young lawyers, they'll say, well, this case will settle. And they've immediately put their mindset that they want to go for a settlement instead of the verdict. More of my cases settle now than we try, but when my first five years, I would say 50, 50, 50% of the cases went to trial. So it sounds like the, the, the ingredients are pick an area of law in which the stakes are already high because if there's going to be a resolution, it's going to be high and then don't choke. Try those cases. Um, exactly. And maybe right. even come up with some excuses to try cases if it's a close call um, so that yeah. you can build your reputation as somebody who follows through so that it's going to be expensive even if they win. Uh, yeah. And then over time, uh, you'll build up uh, the the coin purse to re- invest in more and more cases and it'll build from there. I think we're just missing one component and that's where do the good clients come from? Well, the good clients come from once you get, and that's part and parcel of what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Once you get a good verdict or have had half a dozen good verdicts and you get that in the news, then people call you because they want the best lawyer they can get in the country. You just, you've got to make a decision, you know, am I willing to to spend a third of the year on the road? You know, I fly in excess of 125,000 miles a year. And so it's a narrow niche in the litigation, but 
my geography is wide, so I, I practice all over the United States. And that's not always so easy. A lot of people couldn't put up with that kind of travel schedule. And how do you put up with it? I've gotten used to it, you know, <laughs> and um, it's a... I've been able later years now to use a lot of technology and cut that down somewhat, but it's a, um, it's a burden. There's mm-hmm. no question. So a good example, how do clients come in? We just, a uh, firm just settled last week. My partner um, did most of the work on it, the case for $3 million. And that was reported. We don't, we don't do confidential mm-hmm. very much. And this was a settlement, but we settled the case for $3 million. And that was last week. We received two phone calls on those types of cases in our office this week. And I suppose two two good phone calls is potentially several million dollars at least. Could be. Yeah. You know, so that's how the clients come. But you've got to be willing. This was This was a case where they just knew we were going to try it. That's all. And they just decided they'd prefer to resolve it rather than try it. Hmm. And. Years ago, even 10 years ago, but more so 15 or more, there was a real active group of people in litigation that tried a lot of cases. But now with ADR, we're finding you'll have people at large defense firms who are partner level and never tried a case to the verdict because they've settled everything. So it's just a different world now. Which I suppose is an advantage for you. Because yeah, when you're willing to try something. <laughs> They're terrified. <laughs> all of a sudden, they think, wow, I'm going to get my first trial in here. <laughs> uh, so that's how it goes. Very but it's cool. a lot of fun. I love it. And I've done it a long time. I still don't tire of it. I get up and I enjoy it. Well, Greg, thank you so much for that overview of high-stakes litigation. And um, boy, I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Make sure to catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast or legaltalknetwork.com. You can subscribe via iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. Both Lawyerist and the Legal Talk Network can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and you can download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play or iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said during this podcast is legal advice.